listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. You know, I remember watching Welcome Back, Cotter on the CBC back in the 70s. Remember that sitcom featuring those crazy, albeit lovable, sweat hogs? But the 2019 version of Welcome Back, Cotter on CBC, well, <laughs> this show is about our not-so-lovable, homegrown Al-Qaeda terrorist, Omar Cotter. Ezra Levent will drop by to explain why the CBC cherishes this loathsome individual. So in the aftermath of the Orange Crushed, what is left to be said about the Alberta election? Well, how about this ugly epilogue? It turns out that Anne the Commie McGrath's right-hand man was a BC-based eco-warrior who specializes in anti-pipeline protesting. And the Notley NDP wonder why they were turfed from office? Kian Bexty will offer his insight. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get them every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my brief Q&A with Environment and Climate Change Minister Catherine McKenna. Alas, while I had plenty of questions, McKenna didn't offer much by way of tangible answers. Those are your Rebels. Now let's round them up. There were other lies that night, none of them challenged by the CBC, of course, <clears throat> like this one. Well, there's what I remember, uh, or what I thought I remember, and then there's what the evidence was. So I, from the time I regained consciousness, uh, I was told that I had killed uh, an American soldier, and for uh, the eight years, I believed that I must have done it because I was told that I was the only survivor and that I had done it. So I believed in that uh, all the way up to uh, the trial. And then I started hearing uh, alternate uh, uh, scenarios mm -hmm. and different testimonies. So I can't tell you exactly what's uh, the true story. That's a lie. In fact, Omar Khadr made a very detailed multi-page confession approved, signed on every page by his very zealous lawyers. His confession went into meticulous detail as to what he did on that fateful day that he murdered Christopher Spear, and before then, how he hated Jews and Americans, how he was paid a bounty to kill them, how he was trained in everything from spying to using poison. But the CBC accepted the Al-Qaeda lie that, oh, I didn't do anything, at least I don't remember it, and they just told me later and I bought their lies. <laughs> that he was just a translator there, kids. Um, I don't think my dad knew the extent of what I was doing. Uh, that was not the first time I was uh, sent, me or my siblings were sent to uh, translate. Yeah, just an interpreter. As you can see in this video I just showed you, he's translating. He's translating his hatred for infidels into making IEDs, improvised explosive devices here. That's his translation. Well, it's almost a perverse parody, isn't it? Liberal CBC intellectuals drinking glasses of champagne gently question not-so-little child soldier Omar Khadr. Another victim, obviously, of the global fallout due to 9-11 and the American war machine. 
And in the insult to injury department, this appalling taxpayer-funded tripe that glorified our homegrown Islamist terrorists actually aired over the Easter weekend, really. Make no mistake, folks, the people running the CBC and the government that is currently funding this propaganda machine, they hate you. They really do. And with more on the leftist lauding of a murderer now worth millions of dollars, thanks to the ever-beleaguered taxpayer paying the freight, is our very own Rebel Commander, Ezra Levant. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Ezra. Well, thanks very much. You know, I uh, spent a fair bit of time talking to a forensic psychiatrist named Dr. Michael Wellner, who examined Omar Khadr when he was in Guantanamo Bay. So this is... Uh, he is a world-leading forensic psychiatrist. He, in fact, invented something called the Depravity Index, which measures just how depraved serial killers are. Mm. Uh, he, he's an expert in evil mm. and trying to understand it. And he spent a lot of time with Omar Khadr. And I learned a lot about what Khadr's actually like. And, the, and it's chilling. I mean, just a few examples. When he was in Guantanamo Bay, he told guards that murdering Christopher Spear was the best day of his life. Yes. Uh, of course, he's, like many Islamists, he's a racist, he's a sexist, he doesn't believe women should be uncovered. So there were some female guards at Guantanamo Bay, including a black woman, and, and he would call her a bitch and a slave. Yes. So he was extremely bigoted and racist there. He, um, the, the more I heard Dr. Wilner describe Omar Khadr, the closest comparison I could think of was Paul Bernardo. Yes. A master manipulator, someone who uh, was a deceiver all the time, someone who truly enjoyed killing. In fact, when he was captured in Afghanistan, he was injured. He would have died there. Um, he looked up at the Americans. He had just thrown the grenade that killed Christopher Spear. He had just blinded Lane Morris in one eye. The American soldiers came up to Omar Khadr, who was just a few weeks shy of his 16th birthday, and Omar Khadr, by the way, in his confession, you'll yep. see he got paid a bounty for any Jews or Americans he could murder. Mm. Like this is what motivated him, not just the cause, but he would get rich if he murdered Jews or Americans. And um, I, I think any uh, Allied soldier, including Canadians. And so the first thing he did when he was captured, he looked up at the Americans and said, F you, yep. in English, shoot me now. Because he wanted to go to heaven, because yep. he just murdered an infidel. And instead of shooting right there like the dog that he was, they actually patched him up. And they flew in an ophthalmologist from Kuwait to do surgery on his eye. They saved his eyesight. And from that moment on, Qatar executed the Al-Qaeda playbook. Uh, Al-Qaeda terrorists were, uh, have an instruction manual on what to do if they're captured. Always say that they're being tortured, always say they're being abused, all, like pro project and preempt what you do onto your allied captors to take advantage of our liberal ways. Yeah. Um, and from that moment on, and Dr. Wellner said that the seething entitlement, the whiny entitlement from Omar Khadr was one of the things that shone through. And he, if you look at his smiling face, he's an Al-Qaeda asset who has never renounced Al-Qaeda. Yep. Never renounced his father, who was also an Al-Qaeda terrorist. Never renounced the jihad. Never said, I regret killing Christopher Spear. The most he ever said was to Tabitha Spear, 
I'm sorry that you were collateral damage. But he's never s said he regrets killing Christopher Street because he doesn't regret it. Well, so he's a sociopath. He has no empathy. Well, it's then. not. Um, that, that's true. But the sociopathy is rooted in his ideology. He believes infidels are evil. If you truly believe that, um, you know, one of the things that bugs me so much about terrorist attacks is the reflex in the media and the mainstream opinion say it was a mental illness. <laughs> well, it looks like a mental illness to you and me to treat human beings that way, yeah. to say murdering a man in cold blood was the best day of my life. To you and me, that's crazy. So we say there's a man with a mental illness. But if you can get inside his mind, and yes, he's entitled and whiny and, and all those things, but he's not crazy in his mind because he's following a code. He's following his interpretation of Islam, which says kill the infidel, take rape slaves, um, infidels are lower than you, women are lower than you, Jews and Christians are lower than you, um, the allies, uh, soldiers are to be murdered, and trick them if possible. I mean, Mohammed, the, the historical figure Mohammed, he used trickery to win military battles where he was outnumbered. Uh, he called it takia, which is sort of to, uh, uh, a false, um, a false, a yeah, right? like, like tricking. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, or there's a hadna, which is a temporary truce while you get stronger to attack again. So Omar Khadr uses these ideas. So Omar Khadr in his own mind is not crazy. And he's not even evil. He's following a code that we know is evil, but to him, he's actually righteous. So when he goes into Le Monde en Parle, that's the name of this CBC show, and they're all drinking wine, yeah. which is haram. Yeah. He comes into <laughs> music, yeah. which is haram. <laughs> he comes into a disco ball. He shakes hands with the male host. I, I wonder if he would have shaked hands with women. I don't know if he does that. I bet he would have bit his tongue and shaked a hand with an unclean f infidel woman just for the PR yes. part. And they all slobber and salivate their praise on him. And he tells lies like, or just, he says shocking things like, the $10.5 million I received, it was for all Canadians to expiate the sins of your country. And everyone's here, yes, yes, and no follow-up and no supplemental. Well, and, and that's right. This is, this is a two-pronged story, I think. As much as I have contempt and even hatred for Omar Khadr, as I think the vast majority of Canadians do, I think I almost have an equal amount, if not more, for the CBC for doing this, not because they... It's not a matter of uh, a freedom of speech issue. I mean, if you want to interview the most odious people, fine. But that panel was stacked with apologists. They were eating out of his hand. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they were, it, it was, the questions weren't, as you said, challenging him on his recollection of facts, but rather, you know, hey man, how did you come out of that and yeah. not be full of hatred? Well, that's right. I mean, let me say, I think that there's almost no one in the world who should not be interviewed if they're interesting. Yes. I would interview Omar Khadr if I thought I could do so without him killing me because I'm a Jewish infidel who's a critic. So yeah, I would, I, would, I would interview him. I don't blame the CBC for interviewing him, but that was not an interview. That no. was a Sunday night party, and it, that was an Easter Sunday party with wine, with champagne, with a disco ball, with music, with lights, with a fawning studio audience. And as you say, that one guy at the end said, how do you do? You're amazing. You're an inspiration. That's not an interview. That's a fan club. That's him, uh, an Al-Qaeda asset, manipulating them like Paul Bernardo manipulated people. That's the best. Now, Paul Bernardo is depraved 
he's mentally ill. So why don't we get him on this show then? Yeah, well, I mean, as, as I tweeted, <laughs> that would be like having the CBC have Paul Bernardo on for International <laughs> Women's Day. The thing is, I think Paul Bernardo is actually yeah. a psychopath. I think he's mentally uh, depraved. Yep. Uh, I think Omar Khadr is as cruel as Paul Bernardo. Yeah. Uh, he was convicted of five war crimes. Um, but I think that there, there's a reason why there are 20,000 people a year murdered by terrorists like Omar Khadr. It's not an outbreak of mental illness. It's the ideology they follow, the jihad, the Islamic jihad. And if you don't tackle that, uh, you're not going to solve the problem. And, and Ezra, doesn't this make the case to honestly defund the CBC? If this was a private media organization, this was Vice, for mm -hmm. example. You know, it's their own money. It's not coming out of my pocket and yours. You know, do what you want. You know, uh, portray your version of free speech as you will because it, it, it's on your dime, not mine. But we don't have a say in this. They don't balance the panel with critics of Omar Carter. And, and I... I the perverse irony, you know, Ezra, I don't know if you know this or not, but ever since 2004, on Coach's Corner on CBC, Don Cherry is the only CBC employee mm -hmm. with a seven-second delay. Yeah. Here's a patriot. Mm -hmm. Here is Mr. Canada, yeah. right? And the CBC intellectuals are, ooh, we don't want him saying something that he supports the war in Afghanistan yeah. or something crazy like that. But Omar Khadr, yeah. oh, come on in and yeah. spew your filth. Oh, yeah, I mean, the CBC is is the worst. Um, and, and it's not even about politics. When Gian Gameshi, the serial abuser, yes. was using the CBC studio audience uh, as a recruitment uh, tool for his violent sexual uh, quirks, um, and credible accusations started coming forward. It was an open secret. The CBC, instead of investigating, instead of uh, taking action, set up a, a war room of senior executives to discredit the accusers. It was the opposite of the Me Too investigation. They were defaming, they were destroying anyone who criticized. So the CBC is a deeply sick organization. Now, Harvey Weinstein Company was deeply sick, Vice yep. uh, itself is deeply sick, yep. but we don't have to pay for those. Exactly. And um, I think it's lawful to be gross and odious like the CBC is. I think that host of To Le Monde en Parle and the others who fawned at Al-Qaeda, I think they have some reflecting to do. But it's a free country. You can be a sicko like that. Cotter belongs in prison or, frankly, six feet under. But um, why do I have to pay for this? Exactly. That's the point. Why do I have to pay for it? <coughs> and Stephen Harper had nine years to privatize the CBDC or just shut it down. He didn't. Um, I don't believe that Andrew Scheer has the willpower to shut it down. I think oh. he's terrified of them. I, I agree. Ezra, one last wrap-up question. First of all, um, do you think that the timing of this being on Easter weekend was coincidental? Absolutely not. Absolutely okay. not. And I pointed out in my monologue yep. the other day, the Ottawa Citizen ran an op-ed by Omar Khadr, and he was still in prison then, on the very day that Corporal Nathan Cirillo, the Canadian soldier who was murdered on the National War Memorial, remember, an ISIS terrorist, oh, yes. killed him at point blank range, went into the Parliament guns blazing. The day that Nathan Cirillo's funeral this grave day in Ottawa, grave day for the whole country, that was the day that the Ottawa Citizen, the newspaper record for that city, chose to publish an op-ed by Omar Khadr without referring to him as a terrorist, 
criticizing our approach to security on the day that someone was being buried for terrorism. That is a gross, gross sickness in the media party. It shows how, how much, I mean, earlier you said they hate Canadians. They do. The media class yeah. hates Canadians. Yeah. I think maybe they hate themselves, but they don't have the courage to, to remedy themselves. They just despise the country. Yeah. Um, they suffer from projection then. <laughs> they're perfect allies yeah. for Omar Khadr. He wants to destroy the country. They're happy to help him. Ezra, we're going to have to wrap it here. Uh, and folks, you know, you saw the PR propaganda charade of last week. And you've, uh, if you haven't seen it, you've probably read about it. If you want to get the real deal, uh, Ezra Levent has written the definitive book on Omar Khadr and his equally odious Al-Qaeda family. It's must read and it delivers the truth, not the garbage you saw last weekend on our state-funded broadcaster. Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. And you are the 1%. You really are the 1%. $200,000 in a year, Rachel Notley gave you. Do you feel like you should redistribute that to the proletariat? Blah, 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 blah. Your breast smells really bad. Your breast smells really bad. That's okay. I think this guy hates toothpaste about as much as he hates pipelines. Sawyer launched a legal challenge on the pipeline, fundraising thousands and thousands of dollars to fight the project. He's well known in eco-radical circles. He's been featured in both the Narwhal and the T as an anti-pipeline crusader. It invites the question, why was this eco-radical over a thousand kilometers away from home in Smithers, BC to join McGrath's entourage at a public forum? Before the forum, while I was handing out hundreds of our Stop Notley signs, Sawyer bulldozed his way through the crowd of rebel supporters to take a picture of my license plate as some sort of intimidation tactic. He scolded me about third-party advertising law, which he clearly knew nothing about. And right as he left, right after taking pictures of my car, I whipped out my camera and asked him a few questions about who he was. He lied to me, of course. Here's what he said. No, I want to know what your name is. You don't have to know what my name is. Are you a police? No, I just would like to know what your name is. John. John. Okay. Enjoy losing the election. Just like McGrath lied about her support for Alberta's industry, Sawyer lied to me too. So now that the 2019 Alberta election is officially over, what's left to be said? Well, how about this unsavory epilogue? It turns out that Anne, the commie McGrath, sure knows how to pick them when it comes to assembling a crackpot team of comrades. Case in point, the self-proclaimed eco-warrior Michael Sawyer, who flew into Alberta from BC to help McGrath's campaign. And with more on Michael Sawyer and his shameful shenanigans, is our very own Calgary-based rebel live here in the studio, Kian Bextie. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kian. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure and good to see you in Toronto. Now, Kian, tell me, um, aside from Sawyer uh, seemingly having a boycott against the makers of Crest and Colgate toothpaste. Um, what else do we know about this guy? Well, we know that he likes to litigate. He likes, <laughs> he likes to try and stop pipelines however he can. Uh, he tried uh, quite a few, several years ago to stop one pipeline and now he's on the coastal gasoline pipeline. That's the one he wants to stop. That's the same pipeline, the very same pipeline that the fake First Nation, the Wet'suwet'en Society office has been trying to stop with illegal blockades, blockades that the police have had to break up because Judge 
judges have ruled those those blockades against the law. Uh, it's the same one that fake, well, the, the artifacts might not have been fake, but they were falsely planted on top of the snow at a construction site where the pipeline was. Now, now you, you mentioned this in your commentary, and I found this fascinating how he could have the, uh, or whoever was behind this, to have the audacity and the chutzpah to pull off such a scab. I mean, if, even if these relics are, are, are genuine, um, when archaeologists look for things, they're using, you know, toothpicks and little brushes. And, you know, when they're doing their dig, the, the, the idea that in 2019, 2018, whatever the year was, you'd come across a valley with fresh snow on it and, hey, another native artifact can't drill here. I can't. That is preposterous. Imagine just picking up, you know, some <laughs> hammer from 2000 BC and just throwing it on the snow and then. Yeah, like it's an empty Tim Hortons can or something or a cup. Right, I mean, <laughs> the audacity of these people to think they're going to get away with it, and yeah. they were called out really quick. So back to Michael Michael Sawyer, um, he's he's in league with these guys, right? Like okay. whether or not he's directly coordinating, I don't know, but he's they have the same goal, and that goal is to stop the coastal gasling pipeline. And just a reminder to the viewers, coastal gasling pipeline is one of the very few lifelines that the oil and gas industry in Western Canada has right now. Mm -hmm. It's being built all the way from Dawson Creek to Kitimat, BC to, uh, to export North British Columbian uh, natural gas. So uh, if, the, if this pipeline stops, uh, it's going to suffocate thousands of jobs. But here's the thing, in the big picture, Kian, um, you've got an incumbent NDP government in Alberta uh, granted, very unpopular, and of course, there was a whole series of cosmic flukes that got it into power in the first place yeah. going back four years ago. But the very idea that, with all that baggage, that Anne McGrath thought that bringing a guy into a province that has maybe untold trillions of dollars of oil underground but can't get it out to market, and this advisor, this bodyguard, this uh, Sven Galli for her, whatever you want to call him, is anti-pipeline when there are towns in Alberta th that are being devastated by the downswing in the energy sector. What was she thinking? Well, I don't know if Anne McGrath thinks very much at all, but you know, I, <laughs> I can't say for certain either that he was working actively on the campaign. What I can say is that he was over a thousand kilometers away from home in Smithers, yeah. BC at a campaign rally sort of, uh, community forum acting as Anne's personal bodyguard to keep the rebel, me, away from her because they saw how much devastation we did to her when I asked her a few simple questions and she called the police on me. This Michael Sawyer fellow made sure to ruin as much audio as he could and get in the way. Uh, it seems coordinated to me. Uh, he seemed very close to Anne McGrath uh, and, and he was there on a mission because not only was he acting as Anne McGrath's bodyguard, he was out in the parking lot while I was handing out our token Stop Notley signs, yes. uh, as viewers might have heard of. Hundreds of signs went out the back of my car, and he came up to my car, bulldozed through all these people uh, trying to get these signs, and starts taking pictures of my car and my license plate, yes, like, you know, that. it's going to scare me. <laughs> so uh, I, I whipped out my camera and I asked him a few questions. I said, who are you? What are you doing here? And he said, oh, my name's John. Oh, yeah, that's right. He lied about that, so uh, par for the course. But, I mean, whatever his role was, the idea that someone in the province of Alberta, of any political stripe, would align him or herself with an anti-pipeline crusader uh, 
it just, I, like I said, it just blows my mind, Kian. Also, you mentioned something just now. He came, what, a thousand kilometers or a thousand yeah. miles yeah. from British Columbia. Uh, did he inline skate uh, to Alberta? Uh, <laughs> did I'm guessing he, bicycle? he rode a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He had Maybe a, a skateboard. Speed, did he? Maybe a skateboard. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder about that. Like, it, uh, I, I am assuming he used some kind of fossil fuel really? uh, you know, vehicle, whether it's on uh, in, in the sky or on the ground yeah. to, to get there. And that's the other thing, Ken, the hypocrisy of you know this idea of do as I say, not as yeah. I do, because obviously this man isn't uh, willing to make any kind of lifestyle um, abridgment uh, if it means, uh, you know, getting rid of oil it's in his own personal It's blatant, thing. you know, yeah. like from his polyester vest <laughs> to to the gas that he burns driving over here in his Prius, maybe, I don't know, but the yeah. Prius on its own has, you know, you can't live in this world without having a fossil fuel footprint. We accept that, I understand that. Uh, the, the thing is, these people, they don't accept it, and they try and hide it, they try and act like it doesn't exist, or, you know, they can, they can float out into the ocean in their kayaks, their plastic kayaks, to try and save the world, yeah. when really, they're just hypocrites, they're big hypocrites. And, and, and then I, I've had this debate with people on the left, like the people that go to bat for Al Gore, for example, whose, I think, carbon footprint, the last time I read, is 28 times the size of the average American, yeah. and they make the argument, as do the David Suzuki boosters, well, you see, these enviral warriors are so important. We have to put them on a first class seat because they're, you know, and fly them out to Australia and back again in one weekend because I guess, you know, they're doing God's work. Do you buy that? Well, it's just like when Hollywood <laughs> big shots come and tour Fort McMurray oil sands. They fly to Calgary or to Edmonton <laughs> in their private jet and then they go over to the Fort McMurray airport. And you know they get the whole tour, the rigmarole, and then they go uh, turn to the mainstream media and they say, "This is disgusting." You know, they bang on the table and say, "For <laughs> McMurray is Mordor." That's how awful it is. Mordor. And and then they hop back on their private jet, sip some champagne, and go back to Beverly Hills, where <laughs> there's plastic, you know, everywhere. Well, so, so we have belligerence, we have lying, we have hypocrisy, and, and I think the the, the final thing, um, you know, that we should. Uh, I, address uh, Kia before we run out of time, is that why is it that so many on the left, it seems, um, when it comes to engaging someone in debate, um, you, you don't get a civil discourse happening. For example, in your uh, uh, commentary, when you first meet him uh, and you're asking Anne McGrath questions at a town hall, he comes into audio range and starts going ba 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 like he's an infant. Oh. And then, secondly, in the parking lot, he's manhandling your camera. You know, if he really believes in his cause, why can't he have an intellectual conversation? Why can't he say to you, Ken, with all due respect, you're wrong. Here's why you're wrong. Instead of doing these goon tactics. Well, I would love to see the day when I actually have that conversation with someone like him. I can probably count on my hands the amount of time times I've had a conversation with a rational leftist and we have, you know, some dialogue. But, you know, we can go back to when I was in Edmonton getting trailed by 16 commies. Um, and, I, and I had that rickshaw Dave fella, <laughs> a guy, a sickly guy uh, with a clown horn blowing it in my ear. Like, they, they don't have anything to add to public discourse. They're so infantile that they just can't come up, they, they can't get the words out of their mouth. I think they just have a lot of feelings, maybe it's all the medication they're on, and 
you know, they, they really can't articulate anything. Yeah, I can't connect those dots. But you know what? Uh, in wrapping, uh, Kian, I want to personally congratulate you in terms of Calgary Varsity. I think it was you, your journalism, you doing the work <laughs> that the mainstream media would not do, the CBCs of the world, in exposing this woman as a communist. You doing that truck campaign. We're talking, it was about 600, uh, 600 votes. A couple hundred votes, yeah. So you know, several hundred votes uh, separated Ann McGrath from a very cushy salary. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know what? We stopped. A chance at her leading the official opposition. Wow. Because, you know, when Rachel Notley inevitably resigns, I, I don't think she's going to make it through her four years. Um, but when she resigns, if she resigns, there's got to be someone that picks up the mantle. And I, my bet is it's someone from Calgary or it's someone from Lethbridge. They can't yeah. have someone from Edmonton. They need yeah. someone to reach into the UCP base in, in southern Alberta. And that would be Anne McGrath, you know? Wow. Like, that would be Anne McGrath or Shannon Phillips. Well, we'll never know for sure, but I, I think because of how close that is, uh, I, I think the UCP candidate owes you a Christmas card big time. for I'm waiting for, for some flowers <laughs> for your or a work. fruit basket. And, and, and there you have it. Anne McGrath, let me tell you something. I mean, when you're in a province like Alberta and you align yourself with anti-oil crusaders, I mean, hey, why not go to Newfoundland and uh, run on an anti-fishing platform? See how that uh, gets you votes. Anyways, folks, uh, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Uh, Minister McKenna, uh, David Menzies, Rebel Media. I'm just curious, um, why is it that your government is imposing additional hardship on Canadians via the carbon tax while at the same time cutting a check for $12 million to Loblaw Companies Limited for new refrigerant? Minister, you, uh, with, all, with all due respect, you said we're all paying the cost, and yet Saudi oil imports into Canada are exempt from the carbon tax. Can you tell me why that is? Hmm, how odd that a government that claimed four years ago that it would be committed to transparency and openness will only answer tough questions offline? Uh, what does that mean in this context anyway, offline? When Catherine McKenna says offline, does she really mean to say off the record, as in not for publication? Because if that's the case, then what's the point of asking her questions in the first place? It's just so weird, folks, and it's getting weirder. 
Anyway, here's what some of you had to say about Minister McKenna pledging another $100 million of your money to something that's allegedly going to save the planet or something. Mark Lamand writes, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Life in plastic, it's fantastic. You can brush my hair, undress me everywhere. Imagination, life is your creation. Hmm, where have I heard that line before? Oh yeah, that's where. Gee, I wonder if that video was a Liberal caucus meeting on the Aga Khan's private island. The Art of Nar writes, The idiocracy never ends with these brainless automatons. Cannot wait until October. Glad to see you are still around. <laughs> Laughing out loud. The rebel is only getting stronger and it is you, McKenna, who won't be around come October. Yeah, talk about being passive-aggressive, eh? The thing is, the rebel was born in February 2015, a full eight months before the Trudeau Liberals took office. And the way these libs are polling right now, I think it's a safe bet that we're going to outlast them too. After all, there are precisely 178 days until the federal election. I really don't see McKenna and company being around come October 21st, at least not in a majority government status. Gee, I wonder what passive-aggressive quip I should say to Miss McKenna if we cross paths post-election day. Oh, what a loser! Jennifer Signs of Life writes, I'm 57 and remember spending sweltering summers in Toronto with 100 degree Fahrenheit temperatures, 37.7 Celsius, and 90% humidity. When I visited my aunt in LA, I always wanted to live there because of the people and culture. But like with all the large cities, the loony leftists have ruined it for everyone. And I'm from La La Land. Well, you know, Jennifer, I'm also a 1962 edition Canadian who also grew up in Toronto, who also remembers those sweltering hot, humid days. And I also recall that the perceived threat to the planet back then was an impending ice age. That was then modified to global warming. Now it's climate change, which I guess covers all the bases in terms of weather trends. Holy schizophrenia. And finally, Robert Armstrong writes, Climate Barbie, really? I wonder why your journalism is not taken seriously. Yes, I'm conservative and a PPC supporter. Oh, Robert, are you really a conservative and PPC supporter? Here's the deal with the Barbie nickname. As you know, Trudeau appointed his cabinet based on a 50-50 gender split, not necessarily on merit. And hey, maybe that's affecting women MPs adversely. Like, what if there are enough smart, capable female Liberal MPs that they should make up, say, 60% of the cabinet instead of just 50%? And I'm sorry to report, but when you hear McKenna speak, she is no intellectual heavyweight, quite the opposite, really. And really, who gives a rodent's rectum what her nickname is? Why is she, and why are you, so obsessed over this silly nickname? She should be fighting for ordinary Canadians these days, not poleaxing them with a detrimental carbon tax, and certainly not fretting about being named after a doll. Oh, and by the way, 
Hasn't Barbie been reimagined recently as a brainy feminist type? Have you ever seen the Barbie Imagine the Possibilities ad? Check out this snippet. We can think and do lots of stuff with our brain. Now, does anybody know how big the brain is? Anybody? Sophia. It is medium. Medium. Very good. So, it looks like being called a Barbie isn't very much of a slur after all. And hey, who's that little girl in the ad? I honestly think she'd make a better choice for Minister of the Environment and Climate Change than Miss McKenna. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.